Today on Resonate, Trent Griffith wants to know, what are you hungry for? Everywhere Jesus went, he was sent by the Father on mission with God, and he had an appetite for something more than physical food. He had an appetite for souls, for people that needed to come into relationship with Christ, that needed forgiveness, that needed purpose, that needed satisfaction beyond anything this world could give. And Jesus said, I am replenished, I am nourished by the food of the will and the work of God. If Jesus is nourished by doing what God the Father wants him to do, that begs the question, what nourishes you and me? Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So imagine with me for a moment that I'm wearing a pair of magic glasses that when I put them on, I can see everything that you see. It's like I somehow get inside your head. Apart from being a little creepy, what would that be like? I could see everything that you're doing right now, driving in your car or whatever that may be. I might even recognize where you are. But after a day of viewing your world through your eyes, I also would start to understand some things about you. I could tell who you hang out with, I could see what you do for a job, what you watch on TV, who you talk to, or even where you go online. Before long, I would understand what your real values are and what's important to you. Now imagine that you're wearing a pair of magic glasses that allow you to see everything around you the way that Jesus sees it. We're in the middle of a series called Lift Up Your Eyes, and today, Pastor Trent challenges us to see things, especially the people around us, through the eyes of Jesus. Here's Pastor Trent. My Bible's open to John chapter 4. Where's your Bible open to? It is not. You're on your way there, though, aren't you? John chapter 4. A couple of weeks ago, we launched our theme for the year, which is? That was weak. You want another run at that? What's our theme for the year? Lift up your eyes. We took that phrase from Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. These are verses we've got to get deep within our soul because you're going to need to recall them throughout the year every time you're tempted to get your eyes on your circumstances or your problems or your conflicts or political parties, or hurricanes, or earthquakes, and the list could go on and on and on and on. Lift up your eyes. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? He answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord, not from my money, not from my mother, not from my president. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In case you're wondering how much power he actually has to change your circumstance, he made your circumstance. He made heaven and earth. So lift up your eyes vertically. Get your eyes on the one who can help you in that situation. Now, This morning, we're going to turn the direction of our eyes just a bit. And I want you to see it here from John chapter 4 in verse 35. Now we've got our eyes on our Bibles. Verse 35 says this, the words of Jesus. Jesus says, 
Do you not say there are four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I remember probably the second core group meeting that we ever had when we were trying to launch this church, just trying to scrape together a few people that could believe that God would want to start a church that one day would have two campuses and three services and about 16 or 1,700 people showing up on Sunday. That was all just vision. And this was the verse that God put on my heart to try to rally just a few people to kind of believe in that. So there was about 50 people that showed up. I remember it the second core group meeting and I opened this passage and I we're about four months away from launching. And so I was like, well, it says it right there. Yet there are four months, then comes harvest. So can we believe that God has a future for us? And it says right there, lift up your eyes, see the fields are white for harvest and they still are. Those are the words of Jesus. Now, as we think about lifting up our eyes, notice the two different places we can get our eyes on. First of all, we get our eyes on the Lord. That's where our help comes, very vertical. But I want you to notice this. Jesus says there's another place that our eyes should be. It should be on the fields. It should be on the harvest. Here's what we're learning this morning. Vertical eyes open missional eyes. Vertical eyes open missional eyes. Last week, we tried to get a proper perspective of the enormity of God. And yet today, we need to get a perspective on the enormity of God's work in the world. It is not enough just to go lay on your driveway and stare up in the middle of the night and see the stars and, and think about how wonderful God is as a creator and that he created me and he's big and I'm small and I'm so dependent upon him. All of those things are true. But once you get a proper vertical vision of God, you will get a proper missional vision for the work that he wants accomplished in the world. Contemplating the enormity of God should lead us to contemplate the enormity of the task that we have as his people to be on mission with him. Being on mission with God means we understand that God has not only worked for us. How many of you believe God's worked for us? Are you glad about that? Are you glad that we get together and remind each other, look at all the stuff that God has done for us. We don't deserve any of it. And that he's also working on us. How many of you still have a little work to be done on you and God's working on you? Hey, that's great too. We need to talk about that. But God works for us and on us so that God can work through us, spending our lives for the purpose for which we were created in the world. Everybody is missional about something. You spent your time, your energy, your calories, your money on something this week. The question is, did you lift up your eyes and see the mission that God had for you this morning? And so that's what we're going to understand today. Once we get helped, once we get comforted, once we are encouraged, once we are strengthened, now we get sent into the world. So we gather on Sundays so that we can scatter through the week to do the work of the mission. Vertical eyes open missional eyes. How many of you understand we're a vertical church? You understand that? 
You know what that means? That means that we have our eyes constantly on the Lord. We don't get to gather and, and talk about um, our felt needs, and it's not about us getting happy. It is about getting a proper perspective of God. And the glory of God as He descends among us, it's all about the Lord. It's not about us. That's a vertical church. But a vertical church is a missional church. It understands that we have work to do. For those of you that have been around long enough, have you noticed we have four pillars that kind of outline our core values as a church? The first pillar, unapologetic preaching, very vertical. Number two, it is unashamed worship. That's what we just did. Great are you, Lord. It's about you. We're singing songs about you. We're not singing the latest Katy Perry and certainly not the latest Taylor Swift song. We're singing about Jesus forever and always. It is only about Jesus. Unashamed worship, unceasing prayer. All of those three pillars are very vertical. But finally, we get to the fourth pillar, which is an unafraid witness. Listen, if we never get to the fourth pillar... Our job is not complete. If we never get to the fourth pillar of an unashamed witness, do you understand this church will die a slow death and the generation of Christians in this room will be the last generations of Christians in Michiana if we never get to the fourth pillar? A vertical church is a missional church. And if we don't get the gospel outside the walls of this church... We will die a slow death. Understand, adorning the gospel is not a substitute for sharing the gospel. We love to talk about the gospel. We love to articulate the gospel. We sing the gospel. We remind each other of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in our place, as a substitute for our sin. And God is holy and man is sinful and Christ is a savior and we must repent and believe. We love to take notes about that. We love to write songs about that. But that is not enough. We have to share the good news of Jesus outside the walls of this church. If we don't do that, then we are failing to be missional. Some of you need to adorn the gospel more because what I just said is new news to you. You need to wrap your life around that. You need to see the beauty of the gospel. It's not just some peripheral part of my life. It's the very center of my life. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. You need to move outside the crowd of the church, the window shoppers, those of you that are just kind of window shopping, you like to gaze in what's going on in there, just kind of peek in about every seven days or maybe even every month and just kind of see the gospel, but you've never come all the way on the inside to become a part of the core, you need to adorn the gospel more. You need to come on in. But listen, if you have come all the way in, if you are at the core of our church, if the gospel is the core of your life, you need to move back out into the crowd to share the gospel. It's not enough just to come and hunker down. There are no, no huddle offenses in church. Sorry, I'm really wrapped up into football. And I have a thousand football illustrations. Have you noticed that college football teams no longer huddle? This is sinful. <laughs> this is sinful. In the huddle, we make sure everybody knows the assignment. We understand where we're all going and the play we're going to run. We must huddle up as a church. We do that about every six days. We come together, we have the huddle. But it is sinful if you never break the huddle. You've got to break and go run the play. The only play we've got is sharing the gospel. And adoring the gospel is not enough. 
it is not a substitute for sharing the gospel. We must get the gospel right, then get the gospel out. There's a lot of churches that are committed to getting the gospel out. There's parachurch ministries and media empires and publishing companies that are committed to getting the gospel out. But so often we don't get the gospel right. We shave off the rough edges of repentance. We shave off the rough edges of obedience and the sexual ethic that's attached to it and bringing and aligning our lives under the authority of God's word. All of those are essential to the gospel. But once we get the gospel right, we have to get the gospel outside the walls of our church. Earlier this year, I gathered together our staff and our elders, and I shared with them what God had put on my heart for the goals that I wanted us to accomplish as a church. The number one thing that God put on my heart was this. This is what I shared with our staff. Our number one goal for 2018 as a church, by this we will measure ourselves. Are we reducing the pagan population of Michiana? How many of you would like to reduce the pagan population? Well, listen, there is something to be said about population. As, as a church, we are doing our job at actually increasing the population of Michiana. There were three babies born yesterday to the worship team, okay? And apparently there's another one on the way. Did you notice, okay? So this church is really good about increasing population, but are we increasing the population of those that are sold out, given to the citizenship of heaven, Jesus Christ is Savior. And if we get that right, we reduce the pagan population. That is the only reason God has left us on the planet. You understand that? I mean, if all there was to the Christian life was being saved and going to heaven, then once you make a profession of faith, repent of sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, we should baptize you, take out a shotgun, and send you to heaven. The only reason we won't do that is because God has work for us to do, and that is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you getting my concept here? Lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. And we're going to see four things this morning that we have to get right if we're going to be on mission with God. The first of those is this. Increase your appetite. Now, this passage that I read, I read verse 35 there. It's right in the middle of John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is one of the best chapters in the whole Bible. The first part of John chapter 4 has been preached in this pulpit twice in the last 12 months. It was preached by Tyler Holder, and it was preached by Joel Anderson. John chapter 4 tells that very familiar story about Jesus who had to go through Samaria, and he met the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. You're familiar with this story? Some of you are. And so Jesus begins a one-on-one -on -one conversation with this woman. And because they were at the well, at the hottest part of the day, it was really obvious why they were there. They were both thirsty, and they needed a drink from the well. Jesus takes the opportunity and uses the physical thirst of a woman to illustrate she had a much deeper thirst, a spiritual thirst. And so Jesus says to the woman, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water and you'd never thirst again. She said, that sounds like a bargain. Give me that drink. Jesus immediately changes the subject and says, go call your husband. Out of the blue, what does that have to do with anything? 
Jesus put his finger on the artificial substitute she was using to try to quench her spiritual thirst. She said, I, I don't, I, I don't have, I, 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 I don't have, I, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> well, understatement of the year, right? Yeah, so what was Jesus saying? You have been bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship, cup after cup after cup, to try to quench a spiritual thirst in your life. Well, here's the good news. God didn't design any human relationship to quench a spiritual thirst. You need a spiritual drink, living water. She changes the subject, and she says, um, she, she starts talking about worship styles. Jesus says, it's not about how you worship. It's about who you worship. And once you worship the true and the living God, then your spiritual thirst will be satisfied. Now listen, some of you have been bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship or idol to idol to idol, functional savior after functional savior. You could put a thousand things in there. It's movie, it's entertainment, it's parents, it's money. And you are looking for something to satisfy a spiritual hunger in you. None of it will satisfy. This morning, you need to embrace Jesus Christ as the only one that can satisfy the thirst of your soul. And if you will do that, you will never be thirsty for those things again. If you've never done that, I beg you, come to Jesus Christ. Increase your appetite. Quench your spiritual thirst. Now, for those of us who have had that thirst quenched, it is our job to offer a drink to every thirsty soul around us. And so that's the message that Jesus was getting to this woman. That was a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Finally, we get down to John chapter 4, and I want you to look here in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And she got it. And her thirst was quenched. Now, that whole conversation takes place, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. But the question I had as I was reading this, where were the 12 disciples when all this was going on? Jesus always hung out with these 12 guys that were always going around together. And it actually tells us in a parenthetical statement where these guys were, were back up in verse 8. I want you to look at it. It says, while this whole conversation was taking place, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 12 guys going to five guys to get some food. <laughs> now, this is, this is incredible. That is not an accidental statement in this passage. While Jesus is talking to a woman about spiritual thirst and spiritual water, these 12 guys go after physical food because they had a physical hunger. And then the next time we read about these guys, they come back into the conversation at verse 27. Look at what it says. Just then, his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. I mean, can you see these guys coming back with these hamburgers? And they just got wrappers and French fries, a little ketchup on there. And Jesus, we brought you some, some food. Don't you want to eat? Here, we know you're hungry. 
It's like a bunch of guys. You'd imagine these guys. And then verse 32. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. What food is that? Verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, has anybody been giving him something to eat? He's, he's not hungry for the food. What, what? These guys are so enamored with their food. And it's hard to believe. I know it's hard for you to imagine guys with food. They're so focused on their food, they have missed out on spiritually what's going on between Jesus and this woman. Then in verse 33, so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So now Jesus uses the physical food to teach them a lesson about spiritual food in the same way that he used a woman's physical thirst to teach her a lesson about spiritual thirst, he's still using analogies. So what is Jesus saying? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. First of all, I want you to notice, Jesus didn't just go places. Jesus went places because he was sent places. You don't go to work. You are sent to work on mission with God to do the will and the work of God at your workplace. You you don't just go to algebra class. You are sent to algebra class. And all the the parents said, Amen. amen. But it's not just by your parents. You are sent by God on mission to do more than the work of algebra. You don't just go to the mall. You are sent into the mall. Everywhere Jesus went, he was sent by the Father on mission with God. And he had an appetite for something more than physical food. He had an appetite for people, for souls for people that needed to come into relationship with Christ, that needed forgiveness, that needed purpose, that needed satisfaction beyond anything this world could give. And Jesus said, I am replenished. I am nourished by the food of the will and the work of God. Can I ask you a question? What replenishes you? Netflix? Sports? A day at the beach? What should replenish you is the same thing that replenishes Jesus. Did you notice the two questions that they asked that they didn't ask there? It says, nobody was asking him, what do you seek? They should have been asking him that. You should be asking Jesus that. God, here is my life. I am a created being that you put on earth at this time and this place. What do you seek from my life? What is my mission? What is my purpose? And you should hear him say, I am still seeking the same thing today that I was seeking in the context of John chapter four. What do you seek? He was seeking a harvest. He was seeking spiritual life. What do you seek? And then the second question that nobody asking Why are you talking with her? Why was Jesus talking with her? Maybe the better question that Jesus would have for you today is this. Why aren't you talking to her? I don't know who her is in your life. 
But everybody has someone they should be talking to about their spiritual thirst. Jesus said, my food is to do the will and the work of God. What is your food? What are you hungry for? Some of you need to change your diet to the diet that Jesus had, to be nourished, to to be replenished by the mission, the will, and the work of God, to seek those things that God is seeking. Here's the second thing. Open your eyes. He says in verse 35, lift up your eyes. The fields are white. They're ripe for harvest. Now, interestingly about these Samaritans, this Samaritan woman there, they were in a Samaritan territory there. When the Samaritans went to worship, they put on ceremonial garments that were white. And we see back up in verse 29, this woman left that well. She went into the city, and this is what she says in verse 29. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out from the town and they were coming to him. So when Jesus told the 12 guys to lift up their eyes off of their hamburgers and get their eyes up, do you know what they saw? That's what they saw. They saw the Samaritans coming out of the town, dressed in white, coming. And Jesus said, fellas, that's your mission. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They don't have a right perspective on God. They are darkened. They don't understand their need. If we would lift up our eyes this morning and see what Jesus sees out there, and for some of you in here, do you you know what you would see? You would see people that are enslaved to sin. They have appetites for things that are actually suicidal. They're self-destructive. Do you feel the weight of our responsibility to tell them there is a better way? His name is Jesus. There's good news. You don't have to live this way. If we could see what Jesus sees, we would see people that are darkened in their understanding. They're upside down in their thinking. They call what is wrong right and call what is right wrong. Because they can't see it. They've been blinded to the reality of the gospel because the God of this world has darkened their sight spiritually. They're lost. They're running around. They're bumping into things. They're scraping themselves in the obstacles of this world. And we have the light. We are the light to shine into the places of darkness. How selfish would it be for us to keep that message to ourselves while others are taking their next step toward hell? Do you see what Jesus sees? Lift up your eyes. Get on mission. Get the gospel right and then get the gospel out. Let's reduce the pagan population of Michiana. C.S. Lewis is famous for pointing out that we are far too easily pleased. We'll hear the conclusion of Trent Griffith's message next week. We're discovering that seeing with Jesus' eyes means we're going to increase our appetite, open our eyes, do our part, and tell our story. So are you developing an appetite for this kind of teaching on a regular basis? Why not visit Harvest Bible Chapel for a worship service? As a matter of fact, with Easter coming up next week, 
it would be a great time for you to join us for worship. You can find out when and where by going to our website, harvestgranger.org, and clicking where it says Worship With Us. We meet in Granger, Indiana, and St. Joseph, Michigan. Again, that web address is harvestgranger.org. Well, thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus. So this week, put on your missional eyeglasses and start looking around. And as always, my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart and mind. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.